0: Yeah, it's always strange when I'm at work, so I'm at work now, and uh, we're juggling um, this. I don't know how interesting this is, but we've got, we've just built an app for a client, and we've delivered it to them, and they're finding bugs and issues in it yeah. that we can't reproduce here, yeah. which is really frustrating. So they'll keep saying, well, look, at this part isn't working, and we fired up on multiple devices, and it's working fine. So it's very difficult to fix those kind of issues, and you find yourself... Um, on days like this, just you know, writing them back and saying, "Look, it's working for us," and they they're not too happy about that. So the trick
1: um, the trick is even with working with iOS is that there's no kind of airtight um, place that completely can reproduce every single use case. Like their phones that they're testing on could have some legacy iOS exactly. update issues or some cross compatibility exactly. problems that your test phones don't have right
0: yeah exactly and 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 the trouble with clients who um don't quite understand how those little intricacies can happen uh just results in a lot of frustration each way and you've got to do a lot of explaining and oh it's just it's it's annoying and stressful but i'm sure most people who do software development have that that kind of situation they must
1: yeah I ran into something this weekend, so I I just kind of came off this uh, three or four day intense, uh, it's kind of the most intense week of our year running the photo festival, so we're right in the middle of it, and uh, so we had this huge event this weekend, and it kind of takes up all of our time. Fortunately, uh, one of Allison's best friends flew in so she could get some help with the kid and whatnot, Um, but... Alright, so here I go. I just have lost what the heck I was talking about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) See, that's that's sleep deprivation. Totally. totally. Oh no,
1: here's what it was. So we have a mobile version of our website of the Festival Guide. So the Festival Guide online has all the information. You can browse by index, browse by all these different kinds of indexes. And the mobile version lacks a certain navigational sidebar that the regular site has. And if we were to put that sidebar in there there wouldn't be enough real estate on a phone to see anything like you wouldn't be able to see anything it just wouldn't have to be worked. so it has to be kind of re-engineered but i found myself explaining to a couple people that when you make something super small something has to give like we can't completely reproduce you can't get everything you want and need on something the size of your palm uh, yeah. that that normally displays on you know an 18 inch monitor or whatever you got so it's a it's a little um it's this uh responsive theme that as it gets smaller has to make somewhat smart decisions about what to leave behind and explaining that was really interesting everyone wants what they want the way they want when they want it and there are certain kinds of ways of uh managing web information that have taught people that that's what they should expect and so it's interesting just saying well yeah that's we can't do that this way in this circumstance and we can re-engineer everything and try and make it work next time but <laughs> you can't yeah. you can't fit a size 10 into a into a little kid's shoe
0: yep i know that i know that but um besides work stuff uh i've been traveling so that's been kind of fun you were in Germany. Um, I was in Germany, I was in Hamburg uh, for the World Publishing Expo, which is always interesting, just walking the floor and seeing, you know, how all these publishers do what they do. Yeah. Um, and me basically counting down the time when I can leave and go try out some beers in Hamburg. So <laughs> I uh, I had no luck the first night, uh, so I was there for two nights. The first night, um, so I, before arriving, went to rate beer, and, you know, they've got cities in there, and they'll sure. rate the... The beer pubs and stuff. So yeah. I had written those down, saved all the locations in Google Maps as stars so that, I, you know. Wow, nice. Because there's a limited amount of time in the evenings. I want to be kind of hit as many of them as I can. Um, and I'm, I'm never sure when I can get started. So on the first night, I didn't land uh, in Hamburg till about 7 p.m. So into the hotel and all that. I wasn't really out until about 9 and this was a Monday night, and I decided to, to hit the first of the three. I went there um, to this kind of old uh, Hamburg brew pub. It's kind of the one that they say is the most historic. And it is absolutely the worst place I've ever been. It was so terrible, and it was so, you know, they sold T-shirts, and it was hot. It was downstairs, and the waitresses weren't very helpful. They had two beers to choose from, which were their... What? kind of personal brews and I got one that was uh, kind of a lager and it was kind of warm and it was untasty. It n- there was nothing special about it at all. And I was hungry so I ordered some food and they gave me like really bad sausages and it was just terrible. It was such a trap. So I got <laughs> out of there. I ate what I ordered so I could just get something in my stomach and I got out of there. And I decided to go to the next two on the list and one of them, which was called Schankverschaft, which is in the, near the Reeperbahn, actually, in Hamburg. And the Reeperbahn is kind of the red light district, kind of really kind of nasty little red light district with lots of um, you know, women in windows and, and that kind of thing. Uh, classical kind of, kind of old school um, Europe red light districts, and Germany's got lots of them. But yeah. The Reeperbahn, I think, is mostly famous because that's where the Beatles used to play a lot
1: about to ask um, you that yeah
0: yeah so there's you know there's trails you can follow and some of the old I guess they're rebuilt um, kind of old sound stages and all that um, but there was a great place called Shank near this Reaperbon area and I went on Monday night and it was closed and I was ah. uh, so I had taken an uber taxi all the way over there across town so I called another Uber taxi, I'm standing with my hands in my pocket in the middle of nowhere, kind of, in this Reeperbahn area, waiting for an Uber to pick me back up, go to the next one, get out of the taxi, again, closed. So then I finally got back into another Uber taxi and went to one near one of the train stations. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was more of a modern craft beer place, mm-hmm. and, but it was super modern. So I went from this old kind of fake oldness to this super modern, so modern in fact, that it was, you know, their, their top beers that were on tap, um, you know, were things like, um, you know, from Britain, it would be, um, what did they have, like a Spitfire, which is kind of sure. know, just the, the rank and file. There'd be like an IPA from, they had a Sierra Nevada, the basic Sierra Nevada on tap, which was like a big deal. I was like, oh, save me. So I found <laughs> a few decent bottles there that were okay. And just went back home, went to sleep. And the second night when I was done with the conference, I made it to Shankvershaft. And it was one of the best little craft beer places I've ever been. I sat up at the bar. Wow. They've only been open for three months. And the guy gave me some amazing beers. And to remember them, I checked in on Untapped. Yeah. But how can you kind of pull the stuff out? Can you go on the web and get your Untapped feed?
1: Yeah. Is it there? Yeah, it's a really good... uh... Uh, web version of the mobile site. Yeah. It's, it's is it? Okay. It, of the mobile okay. app. Excuse me. It's I really can't good. Remember,
0: Cause I honestly can't remember the beers I had. Um, but they were, they were all great. They were all either local in Hamburg or at least German. And then there were some Norwegian ones that they introduced me to. Hmm. So all kinds of stuff, you know, I've been drinking a lot of American beers, a lot of American IPAs, to be honest. Yeah. Um, in the last couple of months so it was nice kind of drinking you know stuff from other places really weird long names um that were kind of modern takes so i guess the american beers are modern takes on the ipa these were modern takes on things like old german beers like alt beers from Mm Düsseldorf, but kind of done in a modern way it was really cool i really enjoyed it so go ahead
1: that's awesome, especially about alt beer is like now there's there's more than four thousand breweries in America, like I don't know if right. you knew that like I, it's no, exploded that much to, there's four thousand and it's the highest number since eighteen seventy I think
0: oh wow, I didn't know there were that many back then,
1: yeah, there were more way more um I think there were a hundred and twenty breweries just in Manhattan like wow. <laughs> like I might be getting some of this wrong, but uh alt beer is becoming something that even american breweries are starting to experiment with so like there's so many breweries here now that people are reaching to the smaller more local european styles just as a way of standing out from the crush of the american ipa so oh, the ipa yeah, yeah like kolsch beer and alt yeah. beer like we're able to get those even from local breweries here in atlanta I mean, really, that's yeah. great. That's and great. They're they're not traditional. They're not something like what exactly what you'd be having there. You're having it at the source, you know, but um it's uh even the smaller styles are getting like way exploited now in the best sense of the term where people are investigating it, revving on it and uh yeah. trying to make it better and better.
0: Well, the American IPA thing um is now starting to hit here in England. So you'll go to like a normal supermarket, like a Sainsbury's or a Tesco even, and you'll see Sierra Nevada is now here. Uh, Lagunitas as well. That's all over the place. Yeah, we got to talk about that. Yeah, it's all over the place here
1: now. So Um, did you see what happened? So I saw something
0: that Heineken invested in them, right?
1: 50%. Yeah. so. So
0: has there been like blowback from the craft beer community? because of yes
1: that? there has been but it it's funny it can't stick like there can't be criticism against these takeovers never sticks because there are two things one everybody always says "Eh, it's just beer like it doesn't right. really matter and then number two uh ab ab owns this now but man it tastes so good so people can't boycott things that taste good or like boycotts never stick so there's no sense of kind of business ethics from the consumers in the craft beer thing they'll get all outraged oh my god ab bought somebody else but if it's if it's this stuff from goose island bourbon county stout
0: yeah yeah, i do nobody
1: cannot people cannot stay away from it because it's so good yeah and I really need I really want to do something that exploits that hypocrisy cuz it's hypocritical really like you yeah. can't and I don't understand why boycotts can't stick and last when you've got Anheuser-Busch doing that, you know, Super Bowl commercial in January about mocking craft beer, about pumpkin beers or peach beers, really? just I totally don't, I don't mocking craft beer while making money off of craft beer through selling Bourbon County Stout or whatever from their craft portfolio so anheuser
0: bush owns goose island i didn't even know that
1: yeah for years
0: oh right
1: maybe wow. they they've they've owned them maybe five years now
0: oh wow
1: and so they and they spare no expense so bourbon uh so goose island has an unbelievable barrel facility where it's just barrel after barrel after barrel of first use bourbon barrels like wow. they have all the barrels that nobody can get because ab's willing to make it happen and um, can throw a it lot is of money it's good though it.
0: bourbon county gets stout i have to say i really like it
1: it's incredible but yeah. <laughs> there's also a lot of incredible things out there and and yeah. i i can't believe people don't vote with their dollars more and so yeah. so back to all right a couple of things you and i were in marin county and environs in, in the 90s drinking lagunitis or lagunitas i don't know I still don't know which way
0: I, I know I always call it Lagunitas, but I remember it from those days and I remember it was a small little place.
1: And, and I remember, I remember riding by it on my bike, like on a big huge ride once I never went and took a tour, but we used to drink it back then. And like that was during the like teeth scraping, you know, bitter, bitter, bitter IPA era where it was all about more IBUs and more bitterness. Right. Yeah. And things have changed and become more about flavor and floralness and citrus citrusness and yeah, tropicalness right, yeah. and like so I, I went to a uh, I had I had forty five minutes off in the middle of my weekend and I went to this brew pub here that we have in town and brew pubs kind of you know generally kind of suck but this brew pub we have here is so good and I had a single hop beer with my favorite mm. I think it's my favorite hop and it's called Mosaic. What is it?
0: I've never heard of that.
1: Oh god, it's so good. Really? It's
0: so good. In fact, and is it an IPA though? Is that what it is?
1: It's a pale ale, right? right. So, I don't know what the, the the blurring of pale ale and session beer and IPA is getting blurrier by the day and by whoever's marketing it. Yeah. But it's not a particularly it's a highly hopped beer, but it's not a particularly bitter beer. And that's what that's what people are making now here, these IPAs that aren't bitter and they've unbelievable amount of flavor and aroma from these hops and like nuanced flavor and aroma where it has three stages to it i mean this beer i had at this at this uh, brew pub was just that with mosaic i mean m- mosaic's really heavy in like a mango flavor and oh, aroma and it's right. so good oh my gosh anyways because
0: what's big here is yeah. obviously the in quote american hops and a lot of the old school breweries are making their own ipas here oh. cascade citra those are the ones that everybody is is now sought after out here
1: C- Citra's newer and it's um really highly in demand and people are using it here but there's a mm. bit of a shortage so and cascade really? of course is like the the thing that started it all with sierra nevada and yeah. uh anchor used citra used um cascade and liberty Ale. Yeah. Right. Simco
0: Simcoe' are... is another big one here yeah, yeah.
1: Simcoe is really grapefruity and mm. Amarillo is usually paired with simcoe you might see Amarillo mm. in
0: there okay gotcha <laughs> but yeah the, I guess the the knock-on effect is now there is Lagunitas and goose Island and Sierra out here so I can see those fairly regularly and I can buy them in the supermarket which I'm kind of happy about sure um, but yeah so it's interesting there you were you were saying that the craft beer community has not really... They haven't stood up against... And I thought Lagunitas was always one of those very proud craft brewers. They were. That they so. would have been very vocal about another brewery doing this.
1: Yeah, they have this, um, they have this founder, this guy Tony McGee, who would always get himself in kind of trouble for talking shit and being all about craft and all, you know. All right. But when you get to the stage where you started a company that's 20, 25 years old and you're sitting on something that could be worth maybe $400 million, maybe 200, you know, like under half a billion dollars, but probably more than a hundred million. And you can envision a future where you're, you got your feet up on a yacht, uh, you know, well into your retirement. I think it becomes pretty seductive. And that's, so that's the play that's happening right now. And the Lagunitas one, (laughs) I still forget forget how, what which L- way we're Lagunitis. saying it. That's Lagunitis, what I, I, don't say. Say. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I,
0: know. I
1: have no um, idea. It touched off. There was kind of a sequence of events right after it, and one of those was really fascinating because it was with Dogfish and Sam Calgioni, who said, hey, I'm never going to sell this thing. He took 20%. He sold 20% to a private equity firm, and this is happening a lot with these private equity firms like... A, I, I think about them as Bain Capital, which is where Mitt Romney kind of cut his teeth. Right, right. So you invest in a place, you fire all the people, you maximize the profits, and then you yeah. sell it. Sell it all. Yeah. So he sold 20% of dogfish, and he said, look, we're doing this with the express intent of getting bigger quickly and reinvesting the money in the company. And when the loan comes due in two or three years, we're going to pay them off. We're going to buy it back from them. And all that remains to be seen. So there's so much energy money in the space right now that even somebody who has probably some pretty decent ethics which i'd say that calgioni guy has are being seduced by having to play the game to keep up right they, yeah, they've yeah, got to keep up
0: well, that's kind of like startups in business as well. You got sure. to get money. You got to keep growing. Sadly, that well, that's a theory. You have to keep growing. You can't stay small.
1: So that's that's what I'm against. That's yeah. that's where
0: well, which is good because yes, business wise, I'm against that as well.
1: Yeah. So the 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 alternative one, right? And I think I know about this from technology is building a small business that can. Gain gainfully employ a couple people that can support your family and theirs. That fills a particular niche. That does great work, and that's what you oh, do. No. And, and they, they, they call that a lifestyle the, company. The lifestyle
0: right? company, and it's it's considered <laughs> certainly by Silicon Valley to be you know they want nothing to do. with It's those. a bad word it, to venture it capital. A very bad. Very it it
1: bad means word. you lost if you're if yeah. you if you're in VC and you funded something that became a lifestyle company. It's like yeah, exactly saying they become to- toilet paper or something. But I think it's the future. I really feel like the future of this whole craft thing, beer thing, is that's the – that's – god, there's something so – sorry I'm missing my words again but it's just super alluring to think Mm. that you know every mile and a half or every three miles in a particular town you have a small local brewery that's dedicated to that neighborhood and that is a lifestyle small business it's not about well we got to get them in cans well we got to get distribution out of the state well we got to get distribution overseas it's just like yo calm down like make great stuff and see what happens from there you know um and is know. the cans thing, is that is that quite big now? Huge.
0: Right, so everybody's got to be in cans. Is it's there a reason for that? Is it, is
1: yes. It, does that
0: improve it's the taste somehow?
1: Well, it um It's, it's easier to transport? Here's some, here, okay, the, the few things that I know about it is that you can get a better fill, a deoxygenated fill when you're filling a can than filling a bottle. I might be wrong about that it's it's easier to transport because it's lighter and more stackable so there's less air space when you're stacking it all together so there there are these like little cost savings along the way and and then people are stamping them with these fresh dates on them so that uh they can't become the beer cannot become light struck in any way even if it's so it's better than a green bottle it's it's it might even be better better than a brown bottle and uh it's more environmentally friendly i guess maybe the recycling rate on aluminum in uh cans is actually higher than the glass in a bottle so less resources less impact keeps it fresher it's easier to pack in and out it's easier if you're camping you know you could carry a six pack in a way that you could you don't want to carry a six pack of bottles Um, so yeah, a lot of people are, a lot of people so much so that there are mobile canning lines. There are companies that have erupted that all they do is can beer and they travel to different breweries.
0: Really? So like
1: we're here on Tuesday, we're the mobile canning line doing this. And then we're at this other place on Friday, we're doing theirs. Like that's a neat business idea. Like have you
0: ever been uh, tempted to can any of yours?
1: No, no. you have to have a huge, um
0: huge yield huh
1: it's something that yeah homebrewers can't do though there's this transition piece that's halfway between the growler at the draft store and then the can uh that uh i don't know who developed it i don't know i don't think dogfish did but some brewery developed this it's called a crowler right so it's a big can and they seal it on site, like they pour liquid in, and then they seal it by spinning it around really fast and just throw the lid on. And uh, it's called a crowler. So there, there are all these other kind of canned solutions that have come up in recent years, which is kind of funny. A
0: crowler,
1: wow. Yeah. So, the, when I saw your check-ins on Untapped, I was like, oh, and- he's getting into it. Like he's getting into the like. Um, okay, so some of this is about flavor, right? But I yeah. think a lot of it is about experience. and
0: It was, yeah. Certainly that night it was for me.
1: You were investigating, kind of finding a new place. Gives you a reason to start uh, poking around a particular town, you know? Like, that's sometimes well, all that, you need.
0: Exactly. And now when I travel for work, which I, thankfully... Um, all right. You know, now I was just saying, now that when I travel for work, which I thankfully don't do that much anymore... Um, The evenings are all about uh, trying to find some good, interesting beer to drink. And I quite like those evenings, and it's rare that I get into a conversation with with people behind the bar, because I usually kind of keep to myself, I've brought a newspaper, and I kind of quietly get a beer and go sit down in the corner and read my paper. But uh, I sat up at the bar this time and had a good, really wonderful, interactive experience with Max, of course his name was Max, (laughs) at Shank for Shaft. Um, and, uh, you know, we chatted through all of the, the different ways he gets his beer and how, you know, Hamburg doesn't have any decent places to drink, and I told him about the place I went to, that old-style place, for the first night he said, yeah, I've never been there. I was like, yeah, that's good. (laughs) Don't ever go. Don't ever go. Um, But, uh, you know, he does trips to Norway a lot and to Sweden. He's got a a special affinity to Scandinavian craft brews. Yeah. So that's what he does with his personal time is travel up there and taste things. And um, so, yeah, I just found that all fascinating. We talked for hours. And, man, some of those beers were super strong. And I got so drunk. I just I I, I went to a sushi place after because I was so hungry. And I don't know if you've ever had sushi. If you some if it's been hours since you've eaten, so it had been like ten hours since I'd eaten anything. So starving, hungry, and drunk on an empty stomach, and you know you want food and you want a lot of it quickly when you're in that kind of state. Sure. And so to go to a sushi place is a strange was a strange decision. And I could not eat enough sushi. I just kept just piling it in nice, my mouth nice. until the bill came. I was not very happy about that. But <laughs> um, but yes, that was a fun, fun night. That was really good. And wh- where I went the weekend before is, and these things just kind of happened together because of, of planning and things, is the family, the three of us, went to Venice for the weekend from right. the Friday to the Sunday, which we had planned for a while. We took one of these kind of low-cost airlines and a cheap hotel, and it ended up being a very cheap holiday but just like a weekend away and it was great we had a great time and there's a lot of craft beer brewing going on in and around venice as wow. well so italy which is obviously classically a a wine country um and they've been real stubborn as far as moving into to beer and things but it's now starting to explode there as well Unbelievable. so i had a italian dunkel um it was really good yeah an italian dunkel beer
1: that's so um, strange that they'd yeah, be lagering course. you know like uh well i guess maybe it's not strange italian beer has always been kind of lagers i guess yeah
0: yeah the peretti's and the moretti's yeah and all yeah. that stuff peroni like, nastro zero those terrible beers Um, So it was nice, at least I got a good beer, and we just did a lot of walking, the three of us, and Venice was really good. And now I'm next going to go for work, probably another month or so, but I'm going to go to Poland, and Poland, the the Poles drink a lot of beer, but they drink kind of like old school lagers and things. Yeah. So I'm going to try to find, uh, if I can, it's Warsaw, which is the biggest city, so I've got a good shot, I would think, of finding craft beer there. Um, And you went
1: there last year, right?
0: Yeah, I've been a couple of times because we've got developers that we use that are in Poland. So I go there to to see them. Um, But my kind of hope is that that I can get kind of local craft beers. And that's what I'm going to try to do from now on is not go looking for like a dogfish head
1: yeah don't yeah i'd love to have
0: you know (laughs) because i never get it so it it, it
1: won't here's the thing though and and this is something i've only learned maybe in the last couple years is that the anything that's highly hopped it just doesn't travel well like you really got to get it quickly after bottling or canning so if if you have a you know a little they call them shelf turds right if it's been sitting on a shelf too long even though it's ninety minute or whatever, you kind of it's just not going to be as good as it was um, after you know a, a big long shipment to the middle of Poland and sitting around. You know
0: that's interesting you say that because I used to remember when I would go to Atlanta for work. I that's where I fell in love with the Dogfish Head. I think I had a hundred yeah, and twenty minute one. I just right. Loved it. Super it's strong. Kind of
1: incredible. Sure. Yeah,
0: loved it. And then I found it. Um, somewhere in Europe I think it was Barcelona or something went to a craft beer place and they had it so I was like oh great I'll get it and it just wasn't as good as I remembered exactly. it was just it was bitter it just didn't taste very good
1: yeah the the freshness thing is real um especially with some with the hops uh, and I'm finding all that same difference here. All the local stuff I've been drinking is God, this is so great. We're just talking about drinking all the time—is uh, you know less than a month old, and right. it's so fresh and nuanced and fun. And um,
0: do you notice with the smaller breweries though? Do they have trouble? duplicating the taste in other words like with successive like you get a can not even a can you get a beer or you have it from the keg and then the next keg of the exact same stuff tastes totally different yes or not totally different but certainly noticeably
1: different yes and and the the trick is is that nobody tastes them side by side other than the brewers so the brewers if they're running a really good show are extremely into consistency and consumers Kind of think they are, but you can get so easily fooled by those those variances between batches, and especially when a place starts up in the first, it'll take them maybe eighteen months until they get that consistency down. So, case in point, their my favorite brewery here in Georgia is called Creature Comforts, and they have this kind of runaway beer success with this IPA called Tropicalia. And it's very, it, it, it has changed from batch to batch. And then, you know, you go back and listen to an interview with the brewers and they're like, yeah, we're always shifting things, trying to figure stuff out. And they mentioned something here. So brewing is all about variability. Like everything is always in flux. And the larger you get, the more The variability can have influence on your final product so they were they were talking about because they're running the brewery so hard to crank out this beer they're pulling more water from the main water line into the brewery so that water is sitting in that pipe for a a shorter period of time right because they're sucking in so much water because it's sitting in that pipe for a shorter period of time, it actually has an altered pH. Its pH is a little bit different because it's not picking, or it is picking up less from the pipe than before. And then that will change your wow. recipe. So like everything's a variable. So like I was talking to my sister-in-law last night and she said, hey, Michael, you gonna be brewing? I'm gr- growing some hops. And I was like, oh, cool, that would be fun. And then it's like, <laughs> but hops aren't like a potato (laughs) where it's like a reliable thing over time like they're completely variable every strain does something different and it has a different percentage of the alpha acid and cohumolone and all these different things that go into the flavor and particular attributes of what that thing is so when you're in charge of a big operation that's cranking out a lot of stuff let's say you're less than a year old like the very, the, the quality control is just going to be, you know, really hard to nail down.
0: But the big ones, like a Goose Island always tastes like a Goose Island, um, or a, you know,
1: that's Sierra the Sierra always
0: tastes like a Sierra, I guess they're just so big, everything is completely locked down.
1: Well, yeah, and that's what, that's how these places like uh, Anheuser-Busch and Miller made all their money saying, Mm. this is all, this is the beer you remember. This is the beer of your life, of the best times in your life. This is, and some of their marketing slogans were just about that thing. Like this is always the same, you know? And that is a real comforting thing to people. I personally like totally love variability Mm. (laughs) and would love a place. I, I love some of these places that are doing the same name beer. But they'll say, this is batch number eight. This is batch number 12. This is batch number 16. And then you can be like, oh, man, 12 was amazing. And 16 was totally different. And, you know, mm-hmm. where they're not shooting for the exact same thing every time, which I, I'm just not a fan of that particular kind of, um, What do you, it's just mechanical production, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. it's factory. Oh, let's see what this factory can do. Can they do it exactly the same way? That just doesn't interest me as a yeah. project or product
0: you know it's interesting I uh, I just thought of it but I saw this photograph um I forget where it was but it was from the 80s no it wasn't a photograph it was a film I saw this old film from the 80s that's just terrible kind of romantic comedy from the late 80s and they were drinking beers do you remember ice house <laughs> yeah. when when, when for some reason he said when America went through the ice beer craze
1: oh, there's something about bullshit. ice
0: beer it was <laughs> higher alcohol I
1: think because if, it, if you freeze the beer. At and cut out the ice, then um, you, right. you're you left with alcohol and beer flavoring, essentially.
0: <laughs> that was terrible. And do you remember our first advertising gig? Dude. There was some ice beer that I believe was uh, was done there as well. It was always in the refrigerator. Or maybe it was Red Dog. Remember Red Dog? There was a Red Beer craze as well. There was the ice beer thing, and then there was the Red Wolf. Beer
1: thing. Yeah, Wolf. Red Wolf.
0: And then yeah. there was the um, weird flavor stuff. That, do you remember the stuff like... Um, was it Zumi or Zuni the white beers that were there was be Zima
1: like...
0: Zima that's <laughs> it. the sprite seven Upish beers I'll God, tell you man I think ab-
1: I think about that time often just because of the perspective of what that was 20 years ago it was 20 mm. years ago yeah and so that industry has changed a lot since then but what we were tasked with there, was you know, and we knew it at the time, or I knew it at the time. It was the a little bit of the devil's the devil's work. How do you make? <laughs> of how do you make this huge multinational corporation seem local and friendly yeah, and authentic? And we did, you know, a good job. Uh, I guess I don't know, uh, but. The beer tasted pretty good. The funny thing is, one of the weird anecdotes, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, is that there were three brewers involved in that beer that we made for Anheuser-Busch, that Sierra Nevada clone thing. Oh, right. And one of those brewers at Anheuser-Busch went on to co-found or be one of the first brewers at Stone. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. So he took that kind of knowledge and... um, you know, the knowledge of a big production facility and uh, is it Stone and is really well regarded. Everybody mm. loves him in the industry. His name's Mitch Steele, which is kind of funny. So, everybody. Stone, <laughs> well,
0: I, yeah, I had um, a Stone Ruin 10. Uh huh. It was really good. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Ruination 10th Ruination, anniversary, whatever yeah. that means. I haven't so it was had called a that Ruin yet. 10. Um, it was really good. It's really good. It was at the BrewDog pub here. Do you guys get BrewDog there? (laughs) I don't know. No, so BrewDog is done in Scotland. It's probably the biggest craft brewer in Great Britain, in the UK. And it's done up in Scotland. And they um, have punk IPA and dead pony club and some others but now they've opened a series of pubs around the uk as well and they serve beer from other breweries and nine times out of ten it's from the u.s mostly from stone and um gosh who else uh oscar blues
1: yeah they're here in north carolina if i'm getting that right they and they're They're a big cannery
0: pale ale right
1: see i get them confused i always thought dales was out of colorado something happened maybe they they opened another brewery in north carolina but they they have here's the thing that i know about them right dales Dales was available here uh in, when things were kind of a craft beer desert here even before I moved to Atlanta where there was just yeah. the brick store and like but we could go into a package store and generally find Dales and my wife and I would drink it and it would give us these massive headaches and it really? was like it wasn't about the alcohol it was like we were reacting to some something in the beer and it was and it was we love the taste but it was like kind of foolproof like it would always just hit us anyways they have a canned imperial stout that i had this weekend called Ten Fifty, and it's um maybe 11 percent. it's crazy but it's in a can an imperial stout which is seems a little rare uh it's it's the beer isn't rare you can kind of find it anywhere but it's still pretty good
0: is it? Do they? Are they the ones that do Old Chub?
1: Yeah, that's them.
0: Right, because I had Old Chub for the first time at your house in Atlanta <laughs> right back in that sitting period. out on your steps drinking uh, Old Chub. Yeah, I remember. I was like, "This is fantastic! It in a can, I know. and it's got a great name as well." It's a pretty yeah. good name. Yeah. I, if I funny. find an Old Chub here, I will buy it in a second.
1: Oh man, yeah. There's so much going on with all this stuff. I just I'm super fascinated to figure out how it's going to shake out here in Georgia, particularly we're totally screwed because our laws are so bad and our laws don't allow for the kind of super local, uh, brewery with a tap room that other places do. But I tell you, I just have it in the back of my mind, Eddie, that if these laws were to change, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, we, this could become a family supporting business. Like Mm. it could be a doable idea to construct a small three barrel maybe even a one barrel uh brew house with growlers to go and a very small tap room and try to um support a family on it i don't know yeah, i might definitely. i might be insane in that thing how but... much
0: space would you really need for that does it have to be a big space
1: no I guess, yeah, if
0: it's a couple of barrels, no, it doesn't have to be, so, does it? I mean, So
1: a barrel in, in brewing production is 33 gallons, so it's, you know, pretty big, like, yeah. <laughs> but it's pretty small for a brewery, <laughs> yeah, so it wouldn't be that much bigger than a homebrew setup, like a glorified homebrew setup, and it'd, it'd be a, it wouldn't even be a micro, they call them nano breweries now, oh, wow. But, yeah, it's illegal. We can't you can't even think about doing it here until the laws change, which is ridiculous. Anyways. What does the
0: law say that you have to, I guess there's lots of licenses you'd have to get. And yeah,
1: the... well, the, the big thing is, is that there's this three-tier thing that says you can make beer, you can distribute beer, or you can sell beer, and you can't do more than one of those things.
0: Oh. So you right. can't
1: brew your own beer and sell your own beer on the same site. It's oh. illegal. <laughs> so wow. we're, we're one of like, uh, we're like 41st in terms of laws in the country that are beneficial to breweries. We're, we're at, you know, it's maybe there are only four other states that are that regressive. Um, wow. So people are working to change it, but there's no signs that it's going to change anytime soon. Makes me think about moving.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, because that sounds like a great idea. I think you'd really do well doing that.
1: It would be really fun. Uh, I don't know. It would be totally new and completely different. And the weird part is I don't know that I have the engineering mind to be able to pull it off. Because it's like, it's engineering. It's plumbing. It's Mm. welding. It's these, there are these things about brewing that actually aren't really um, what you think are about. Exactly. Exactly. It's the
0: logistics. Yeah. And that's maybe where you need logistical help. help. Maybe there's somebody... That could fill that void while you can focus on what you want to focus on, which yeah. is the recipe.
1: I'd also have to really figure it out if that's something I really want to be doing, you know, more, you know, 80 hours a week kind of thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. I imagine <laughs> it's, not, uh, it's not like this laid back, lazy no, lifestyle.
1: No, and not, not that I need that, you know, but um, no, no, it's but, I mean, a shitload of work. It's
0: like when people romanticize opening a restaurant, or out sure. here it's always romanticizing running a pub. And uh-huh. it all sounds great until you do it and you just realize it's freaking exhausting work. And it's, you know, it's thankless long hours.
1: Yeah. The funny thing is, and I, I I don't know if we've probably talked about it over the years a little bit, but I feel like we have a concept that could work. Like, we've I've got a name. I've got an idea. I've got a look. I've got a kind of, and all that ties into how the beer actually gets made. Like, it's... Mm it's feels solid to me like it's a little bit of a dream that's like oh maybe that could actually happen like case in point i i oh god i i don't know maybe we should save this for later <laughs> okay
0: no i want to keep talking about it so and in fact this might be a good stopping place because i i've unfortunately just been flagged on a few yeah man talking tools i've got way too many so i've got two um monitors. So I've got, I'm I'm rocking the dual monitor thing, which I like, however, and they always say it's good because you can multitask better. So I've got all these windows open, but I've got all these chat applications open, right? So I've got Slack over here. I've got Skype over here. I got my email over there on this one over here. I've got, um, Evernote when people tag me on something. It's just crazy. It's too much. I think I might go back to one monitor because I think this multitasking and multiple chat
1: apps is for it, the birds it doesn't work it's crazy you can't it's crazy. there's something there's truth in in that phrase about there's no such thing as multitasking you actually cannot concentrate on two things at the same time
0: no, you can only you do one thing at the same erupted.
1: time so multitasking is about how quickly you're switching away from doing one thing at the same time yeah, and you're not started. really getting it getting stuff done you know
0: exactly One more thing I want to ask you because I've really enjoyed this chat and it's making me really want a beer. I'm going to have to have – all I've got in my refrigerator is – actually, I've got a homebrew that I did with my brother-in-law. I'll probably drink that tonight. Nice. Um, But you mentioned – I know you've told me before, but I need a good beer podcast to kind of, you know, keep my mind in it. But probably not one that's too – Brewer focused, if that makes sense.
1: Is Here, more I, that's... I, I got it I got it for you. So it's funny, beer podcasts are like photography podcasts. It's like do you want to listen to one or do you want to listen to a good one?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um,
1: and they both have kind of similar degrees of quality, those two genres. Uh but the best one that I found for beer is this guy out of Chicago and it's called Good Beer Hunting. And it's actually it's on. actually kind of phenomenal. This kid does a great job, and his background is—I uh, won't go too long in this—but his background has some similarities with us in that he he worked at some kind of creative design agency and has now turned it turned good beer hunting into his own creative design agency that targets the beer world that's
0: interesting and so
1: he works with breweries to establish their voice and their brand and get their launch right and to retool them how to tell their story about what they're doing and why it's different and like it's funny because if somebody had walked up to you and I while we were working on this stuff in the late 90s and said hey guys do you want to just do this just for beers (laughs) just for you know your business for the next 20 years or something we would have been like yes like (laughs) (laughs) absolutely absolutely.
0: (laughs) it's kind of made it's so interesting i'm out on his site now and you're right he's very clearly very design led Um, he's
1: fantastic yeah
0: wow interesting because it's making my head spin about breweries you know they all need an app as well maybe there's a way to get them onto mobiles easily
1: yeah, it, and mm-hmm. he he has a deep world of content there. The funny thing is, is that he's he's on this part of the spectrum where it's like he's making videos for Goose Island and for Bourbon County Stout, and how do you help a big multinational corporation tell the story about what they're doing as being authentic? So he he um, is on both sides of the spectrum, wow. working with really small places and working with the biggest baddest of the bunch as well because for him it's all beer um and for me for me it's not but um yeah he he's an extremely good interviewer and uh there's great kind of business lessons that come out of it that you might be able you know interesting okay i'm adding
0: this to overcast as we speak this is exactly
1: what i wanted cool man (laughs)